Hello and welcome to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast, where each week, Pastor Jeff Cranston explores biblical theology that provides practical life applications in an understandable way. Thanks for joining us at the table. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to Kitchen Table Theology. I'm your host, Tiffany Coker. Along with my dad, Pastor Jeff Cranston, we are seeking not only to help you know deep, solid biblical theology, but to know the Word of God and the promises of God that are given to us in His Word, all while holding to solid theological truths in your heart, soul, and mind. Over the last few months, we've been discussing and studying both Old Testament and New Testament books and looking at their theological themes. So if you've missed any, we encourage you to go back, give those a listen. I think we started with episode number 143. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to take just a second and say thank you for leaving ratings and reviews. One recent review said this, What an amazing podcast. Pastor Jeff has truly found a way to present deeper theological themes as manageable bite-sized cookies and place them on the bottom shelf so we all can reach and understand them. So thank you, Al, Navy 90 Buckeye fan, for your kind words and for leaving this review to help others hear about Kitchen Table Theology. Yeah, that's really nice. So thank you for leaving that review. And uh, if you've never done it, Kitchen Table Theologian, if you could give us a, a rating and a review, because with all the algorithms and so forth, we don't really understand how all of it works, but it does. And it allows more people to find out about Kitchen Table Theology. Well, hello again. And thank you for joining us today as we look into the Old Testament book of 2 Kings, continuing on in our study of every book of the Bible. Uh, and this book, 2 Kings, contains what is for me one of the most challenging stories in Scripture regarding God and one of his prophets named Elisha. And it's found in chapter 2, and the text says this, And while he, Elisha, was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him, saying, Go away, bald head. Go away, bald head. Now, <laughs> I, I can look in both Old and New Testaments and find scriptures that challenge my faith, passages that require me to pray for more understanding and wisdom and discernment. And there are even passages, I think you know what I mean, kitchen table theologian. There's some passages that we would rather ignore or wish they weren't in the Bible, but but they are, and we have to deal with them. But there are a few stories as dramatic and as frightening, I think, as this one. So while Elisha was on his way to Bethel, or Bethel, sweating under the heat of the sun, some young boys came out from the city ahead of him and began to make fun of him. And he's basically saying, get out of here, baldy. We don't want you and your shiny head around us. And perhaps Elisha tried to ignore them at first, but when their taunting became so loud and mean-spirited, he turned around and faced this crowd of young boys, and he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And as if on cue, two mama bears came barreling out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. And then rather matter-of-factly, we read that from there, Elisha continued on his journey to Mount Carmel, and then he returned to Samaria. What what in the world? I can honestly say I don't think I've ever heard that story. And when you started and said, go away, bald head, I thought we were going for some hair joke. 
Um, did not see that turn coming, but I'm going to have to go to Second Kings and read this now. Like, what in the world yeah, is that it's, about? It's it's chapter two, but it's one of those stories that makes one wonder about God, you know, and, and why would mm-hmm. he allow his prophet to engage in something like that? At, at the least, it, it gives us a lot to chew on and study. And maybe one day here on Kitchen Table Theology, we'll tackle that. But for today's podcast, why don't we why don't we just jump in? Wow. Okay. So we've already covered First Kings back in episode number one seventy three. But perhaps we need a really quick moment to jog our memory and help us out before we dive into Second Kings. Yeah, that's a good idea because as we recall, First and Second Kings in the Hebrew Bible were originally one book referred to as the Book of Kings. Okay, so when we did that episode on First Kings, you told us for, that it opens describing the final days of King David, which was around 971 BC. And then it mentioned a number of conspiracies, really, surrounding his succession. When David died in First Kings chapter 2, verse 10, his son Solomon ascended the throne and established himself as a strong and a wise leader. And I remember discussing in those early years of Solomon's reign, you said Israel experienced its glory days, its influence, economy, its military power. They really enjoyed very little opposition. Its neighbors posed no strong military threat to them. So we read of David's death in chapter two, and then Solomon's death was in chapter 11, which occurred around 931 B.C. Shortly after that, the kingdom was divided into a northern entity and a southern entity. So the north was called Israel and the south was called Judah. First Kings follows the history of this now divided kingdom until the year 853 BC, which so that was, if I do the math there, that's about 120 years. Yeah, so, so Kitchen Table Theologian, the book of Kings continued the narrative started in First and Second Samuel. So it's a continuation of that story. And, and as far as the authorship of Second Kings, it's obviously the same answer as we gave in our First Kings podcast, namely that numerous Bible scholars believe that the author or the compiler may have been someone who compiled a, a number of events, was most likely one of the prophets. And we think that because of the many historical events recorded in light you know, the context for it was Israel's and Judah's faithfulness or their unfaithfulness, things that a prophet would really be in tune with, and wrote about it all in the context of their covenant, Israel and Judah, their covenant with God. And so Ezra, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah have all been named as possible authors, but we, we don't know with certainty who wrote the book of Kings. Okay, so how about laying out where are we in the historical context of Israel and Judah? Share some of the where's and when's that we're going to see in Second Kings. Okay, so as you listen, hang in there with me because I'm going to give you a timeline. So if you're if you're jogging or walking or driving, pay please pay attention to what you're doing, <laughs> but <laughs> but but think in terms of a of a timeline, and I'll 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 do this as simply as I can. So we've got this story, this chronicle of the divided kingdom. So that, that continues here in 2 Kings. 
And we pick up the story in 853 BC. So here's what I want you to do. Think in your mind of, of a line with a point A and a point B. And right in the middle of the line, you that's where Jesus was born. So to the left of Jesus's birth is all the years that are BC, and to the right are AD. So 2 Kings picks it up in 853 BC. So put that in your mental chronological line. So here's what happens. The, the Assyrian nation, they're very, they're mighty. They're very powerful. The Assyrian nation. They invaded the northern kingdom. That's Israel. Now move ahead to the right on your timeline in 722 BC. And they capture a number of the Israelites, the ones they didn't capture. They scattered all over the region. Now, Judah at that time didn't get touched. Judah was left whole. Now move, that's 722. Now move further to the right on your line, 612 BC now, okay? The Babylonians overthrew Assyria. So the Babylonians start to come on the scene as the more powerful. They overthrew Assyria. They capture Nineveh, which is the capital of Assyria. Now, you'll probably, if you have any Bible background, what do you think of, Tiff, when you think of Nineveh? Jonah. Jonah, right. Got that one. <laughs> so that was the Assyrian capital. Babylon captures it. So kitchen table theologian, hang in there. We're, we're, we're getting somewhere. So we're, we're seeing this rising strength of the Babylonians. By 605, so move a little bit closer to the birth of Christ, Babylon had now taken control of Judah as well, and they took a huge number of people captive. Move ahead a few years to 586 BC, Babylon destroyed Jerusalem and captured even more people. Now, as a Bible scholar, as a Bible student, 586 BC is one of those dates you always want to remember because that was the destruction of Jerusalem. That was major. So now, a large number of persons whom the Babylonians deemed valuable from Jerusalem and Judah were transported to Babylon. And you may remember this from 1 Kings, including members of the royal family and the prophet Daniel. Daniel went to Babylon as a captive. So now we have none of the people of God out of the 12 tribes, 10 were Israel, 2 were Judah. The people of God were no longer living in their promised land as God's people when, by the time we get to the end of the book of 2 Kings. So hopefully you were able to track with that, and I, I didn't lose too many of us along the way. I think, I think we stuck with you there. From the little bit of study I have done on the Old Testament and all of the teachings I've heard and even some Bible stories I learned as a kid, I seem to remember that the Babylonians were not the good guys, right? There's a very negative connotation when I think of the Babylonians. So is that correct? Am I on the right track there? Yeah, absolutely. You sure are. Uh, the Babylonian army's destructive tactics, wherever they went and fought, and included burning, raising, that's R-A-Z-I-N-G, other acts, that whatever they did, they left many regions, not just cities and towns, but whole regions, nearly uninhabitable. I mean, they, they, they destroyed places. 
when it came to the people that they were going against, they enslaved them, they dispersed them, they just brought devastation. And we learned in 1 Kings, Jehoiachin, who was the king of Judah, he was taken captive. And the second to last chapter in 2 Kings, I'm doing this by mm-hmm. memory, um, the, the book has a little bit of an epilogue, sort of closes with a glimpse into the life of Jehoiachin, who had been taken captive. Now, he was treated fairly well because he had been a king. I do remember you mentioning him in our First Kings podcast. He was um, maybe a younger king in Judah, and I do remember you saying he reigned only briefly before he was captured by the Babylonians. Yeah, we find out in Second Kings, he was only 18 years old when he wow. became king upon the death of his father, Jehoiakim. So we're talking about Jehoiachin. He ruled, I mean, and think about it, 18 years old, you're given a nation. A a lot of 18-year-olds, you're afraid to give them the keys to the car. He was (laughs) given the keys to the nation. He only ruled for three months and 10 days, Uh, not a long tenure. And so Jehoiachin was the last legitimate monarch of Judah before Babylon came in, and they they put in a, 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 a line of like puppet kings. They they were kings of Judah, but they really worked for the Babylonians. So as we read through Second Kings, will we see any main ideas, major themes here emerge, or is it really just covering all of the historical events? Yeah, well, there's a lot of historical events, but I think there is a major idea that rises to the surface in Second Kings. Uh, the fates of Israel and Judah were significantly influenced by regional events. Nonetheless, the the author of Second Kings identified the Israelites' national demise as God's retribution and judgment against his rebellious people. And 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 you see, their apostasy is directly linked to God's judgment. And apostasy just basically means the abandonment of their faith. And so this this main idea that when you abandon God, and they were led by some evil kings along the way, by the way, but the the demise, the attacks that were brought on them, the capture, they lose Jerusalem, all that is viewed in 2 Kings as God's retribution and judgment because they left God. And despite prophets of God being sent to them, repeatedly warning them, change your ways, turn back to God, the people still persisted in their wrongdoing. And now eventually they highly regretted not believing. They, they just thought they were sort of invincible. And they, they were always like, well, God would never permit foreign invaders to destroy our, our nation, to take our promised land from us. But because they, they walked away from God, that's exactly what happened. But be that as it may, God also did not overlook nor did he forget his covenantal pledge to David. And in order for his people, God's people, to eventually return to their homeland and await the arrival of the prophesied Messiah and Redeemer, God preserved through it all, God preserved a remnant of people, and God preserved the royal dynasty. He he never took his eye off of any of that. Such a great picture of when we choose to walk away from God, there will be consequences. It reminds me of that verse, he will never leave you or forsake you. So Mm -hmm. we do see this major theme throughout. 
you said national sin and rebellion had to be punished, but God was still going to keep his covenant with David. Okay. Yep. How about some theological themes? What theology do we see emerging from the book of Second Kings? One of them, I think you mentioned, but let's touch on this a little bit more maybe. The Davidic covenant that you mentioned, I think we can maybe sort of guess and assume what that is, but why don't you clarify a little bit more for us what exactly that is? Yeah, the covenant God made with David is referred to as the Davidic covenant. And now we can also, we can well imagine uh, that in a book of this length, and there's 25 chapters, and many of these chapters aren't very short, that there would be a number of theological themes running throughout the book. So let's just touch on three of them. So first of all, let's look at the Davidic covenant, because I want you, Kitchen Table Theologian, to, to be aware of what that is. It's very important because it's very important to the story of Israel. It's very important to the story of Second Kings. So the promises made by God to David through the prophet Nathan, that's the Davidic covenant. There we, we read about these in 2 Samuel 7, 1 Chronicles 17, 2 Chronicles 6. In the covenant that God formed with David, God gave three main promises to David. That's the covenant. So initially, God said that his bodily line of ancestry or his house would last forever. He told David that. Second, God promised that David's kingdom would never end permanently, meaning that even while it would not always exist, like it doesn't really exist physically now, it would always have the chance to return to its full function. So is God finished with David's kingdom yet? No, not yet. Third, God assured that David's throne or the ability to rule that David possessed would never truly disappear, guaranteeing that a royal descendant of David would always be able to assume the role of ruler when the situation called for it. Okay, we're going to have to dive in a little bit deeper here. So are you saying, does that mean... That David himself will still play a role in God's kingdom at some point in the future. Well, that's a really interesting question. Will will David? Are yeah? So will David make a return at some point in God's grand future for humanity? I mean, I mean that kind of sounds like what you just said. Is that right? Well, let's answer the question like this. I I find there's a particular source I really like in kitchen table theologian. I know many of you are aware of this website, but it's very helpful. I would encourage you to look at it from time to time. It's called gotquestions.org. Got, not uh, got, G-O-T, questions.org. And uh, here's how they answer the question. They write this. After the tribulation and the battle of Armageddon, Jesus will establish his thousand-year kingdom on earth. That's the millennium. In Jeremiah 30, God promises Israel that the yoke of foreign oppression would be cast off forever. And quote, verse 9 says, Instead, they will serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Interesting. (laughs) So speaking of that same time, God says through Ezekiel, and I'm quoting Ezekiel 37, 24 here, my servant David will be king over them and they will all have one shepherd 
They will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. From the prophecies of Jeremiah and Ezekiel, many Bible scholars conclude, therefore, that King David, now listen, King David will be resurrected during the millennium and installed as co-regent over Israel, ruling the kingdom with Jesus himself. Now, he'll be under Jesus, but David is going to be one of the main rulers during the millennial kingdom, under which we as believers, we will be in David's kingdom. Wow. And we, so we spoke about this a lot on eschatology, and I don't have our eschatology podcast numbers in front of me, but if you just go to see all on the podcast, um, you I think it's over, it, it might be in the 90s or the early 100s. And there's like 12 of them, but it's called eschatology, the study of the end times. We we talk about this a lot. So personally, and I'll shut up for this. Personally, I believe, based from Daniel chapter 7, I personally believe David will be resurrected at the beginning of the millennium, along with the other all the other Old Testament saints, and David will be one of those who reign with Jesus in the kingdom. So fascinating. That will be crazy to see. One day. Interesting to think about. Okay, so we see this covenant with David is in play throughout most of Second Kings. What other theological themes do we see? You, I think maybe two more you said. Yeah, I promise these will go much quicker than that last one. Um, <laughs> well, that one I, was very interesting. <laughs> I, I think we see the omnipresence of God as an important theme. Now, omnipresence of God, stated simply, means that God's presence is everywhere. He is all present. Or present everywhere. He is present everywhere at every moment, that there's nowhere we can go to hide from him because everywhere we go, he's already there. Jeremiah 23, 24 sums it up when it says, no one can hide where I cannot see him, says the Lord. I fill all of heaven and earth, says the Lord. So we we cannot hide from God because he fills heaven and earth. You know, Tiff, I wonder how many games of hide and seek you and I and your sisters played when y'all were growing <laughs> up, when you were little little ones. And mm-hmm. our 18-month-old, my granddaughter, your niece, Kendall, she loves to play hide and seek right now. And I was playing with her a couple weekends ago. She picks out her best hiding spot and just squats down right there. And usually it's in plain sight. Right out in the open, yep. <laughs> yeah, but she's at the age where she hides her eyes and can't see you, she assumes you can't see her. (laughs) Exactly. Yes, lots of games of hide and seek have taken place over my lifetime, even with my own kids. Yeah, the point being we can't play hide and seek with with God. Right. Yeah, so kitchen table theologians, sidetrack there for a second. If you have younger children or even grandchildren around, use you can use hide and seek that game with them to teach them about God's omnipresence, however Mm -hmm. we say that word. So that's an idea. Play the game. And then once they're all worn out from running around a big game, get them a snack, sit down, and you can start a conversation about how God was with them in each and every place that they hit. There's nowhere that Mm -hmm. we can go that we can hide from God. You can ask them, what was your best hiding spot? What was your favorite hiding spot today? And say, you know what? God was there with you too. His presence is in literally every hiding spot on heaven and on earth, even what we think might be the best hiding spot. (laughs) And also one other comment on that, then we'll move on. Pastor Jeff 
And Jen, back at the beginning of Kitchen Table Theology, did an entire podcast on this omnipresence of God. It was episode 20. I did look that one up. So you can go back and check that out if you want to do a deeper dive on the omnipresence of God. And I think because of time, we need to wrap this up. But what we can see in that regard, God's omnipresence in 2 Kings, is that in the ancient Near East, as well as in the Bible, and especially in the Psalms, God is talked about as dwelling in the temple. And in the book of Kings, the author strongly denies that God can be, you know, located, like God is only in the temple or indeed any place in heaven or on earth. That is, there's only this one spot where God is. And he just categorically denies that throughout the book. You know, some people think that God, quote unquote, lived in the temple while the temple existed. But that's not true. That's not what happened. Rather, God, if you pay attention to the scriptures, God chose for his name or his reputation, his fame, as it were, to dwell in the temple. But he's never, ever relegated to one specific place in the universe. God is omnipresent. And that comes through loud and clear in the book of Second Kings. Any last final thoughts you want to share with us before we sign off today? I think just a, a point of application, an essential life lesson that Second Kings imparts is that actions have consequences. Tiff, you said that earlier. Actions mm-hmm. have consequences. God effectively forewarned through the prophets, repent, sin will incur judgment, and God means what he says. And that was a lesson Israel and Judah had to learn the hard way. So will you and I, kitchen table theologian, will, will we learn that? You know, think about your heart. Is it a is it a difficult heart? Is it a res- un, is it an unresponsive heart to God's call, or are you able to quickly confess your sin and come back immediately to God through through Jesus? My my prayer for all of us is that we see how practical Second Kings is for our lives. And although we are we're separated from the Hebrew people by you know about three thousand years and. We live in a very different culture. We still serve the same God. We face the same test of faith and temptations. And the lessons from their lives are extremely relevant to us, and we better pay attention to them. And I'll close with this. Paul reminded the Corinthians of this. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of ages has come. So Paul says, all that was written down that we could read about it, just like Second Kings. And they're our examples, so we, we better learn from their lives mm-hmm. and the lessons that they learned or the lessons they failed to learn. There it is. Thank you so much again for listening to Kitchen Table Theology. As we mentioned at the beginning, if you have just a moment, please rate and review the podcast, especially Spotify and iTunes, because that really is what helps new listeners find the show. And don't forget, you can check out today's episode's notes there as well. As always, thanks to our spiritual home, Low Country Community Church here in Bluffton, South Carolina, as well as Streamline Podcasts for making this podcast possible. You can head on over to jeffcranston.com for more information on Dr. Cranston, his books, his sermons, some leadership notes, and new blog posts. Lord willing, we will be back with another great episode and we will be back in the New Testament. I think the book of Colossians is up next. So there it is. Now go deeper. And until next time, 
Always remember that the real power of theology is not only knowing it, but applying it. You've been listening to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast with Pastor Jeff Cranston. Join us next time for more insights into biblical truth. If you'd like to know more on today's topic, please check out our show notes. If you have a question from today's podcast, kindly email us at pastorjeff at lowcountrycc.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you consider leaving a rating and review? We deeply appreciate your help in getting the word out. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or in your favorite podcasting app to continue this journey with us as we learn about and apply God's word to our lives. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time here at Kitchen Table Theology.